Thank you for listening to Wolfcast and Pod, the episode-by-episode breakdown of Angel the Television series. We will be discussing each episode in detail, so we have no concern for spoilers and the like. Please enjoy. Angel, invite me in. I've never been here before, Wesley. You have to invite me in. Well, perhaps if you'd shown a bit of interest. Wesley. Yes, no, absolutely. I invite you in. In, I invite you. Coming message from the higher powers. It's another episode of Wolfcast and Pod, which is an episode by episode breakdown in podcast form of Angel the Television series series by me, Ruben, and your friend and mine joining me on the other line. Her name is Kara. Hello, Kara. Hello. <laughs> no pause. I really this time. want. To... <laughs> no pause. No pause. Um, I really want to see a really good series at some point, like a totally woman-run, like show-run, written, acted <laughs> series, which I feel oh. would be called a series. Yeah. Right. A series. Yeah. Of course. Um. How to Get Away with Murder is probably the closest. Oh. And then, just in that it has um, a female showrunner, Shonda Rhimes, is that her mm-hmm. name? Mm-hmm. And a female lead and a female heavy writer's room, but still plenty of male actors and I assume directors and cinematographers. But Fair enough. I would say uh, Broad City is up there for me as a series, but anyway. Uh, Speaking of she, how are you doing today? (laughs) (laughs) That is how I identify. Um, I am doing well. I am good. It's, uh, I'm preparing to head off to the slightly more wintry city of Toronto tomorrow for a spell, so I'm looking forward to kind of getting out of Vancouver, or no fun city as it is known, to go to a slightly more fun city. Hmm. Um, but that's that's really what's up with this lady. You would think it would be more fun since there's so many movie productions there uh, all the time, that there would be, I don't know. Movie productions, more... when I've been on set, are have such, like, a camp feel because they're so brief. Like, everyone has these, like, really intense relationships that uh, dissolate <laughs> after, like, six to ten weeks. Um, mm. And so I would feel like there are constantly people wandering the town who just want to have fun. But maybe that's exhausting. I don't know. Maybe it does, you don't, doesn't run into it that much. <laughs> I would say that in terms of running into production situations, it's more of a, an inconvenience from mm. my perspective, being a local, yeah. than it is exciting. Locals um, only, bra. <laughs> locals only. <laughs> but because it's like, oh, this street is shut down. Oh, I can't get into my office for the next 20 minutes because the scene is being like shot. 
or like oh I guess maybe some things that are good are like the gallery looks really cool and there are a bunch of sculptures <laughs> of like the thinking man outside of it wow this That's restaurant awesome. is way more well lit than it normally is Oh, they're shooting here on Wednesdays and Fridays. <laughs> exactly. Or like, oh, the strip club has beautiful hand lettering for like jazz combos outside of it. Oh, I see. I, I get what's going on. But yeah, it's not it's not uh, the most exciting. Sometimes you'll see a celebrity, which people tell me is exciting, but mm. I don't know. I've, I've I mean, encountered... maybe if they want to talk to you, but if they're just doing their job, it's a roughly as exciting as like seeing you know anyone else at work <laughs> i guess so i i had lunch this is my like most uh involved celebrity story in vancouver um i took a late lunch one day in the summertime and was sitting on a patio by myself like at 2 p.m having my quinoa salad with avocado <laughs> and you know whatever vancouverites eat um, and Julia Stiles and her boyfriend came and sat down at the mm. table literally next to me. And, uh, she like leaned over and was just like, oh my goodness, what are you eating? That looks delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, it's a quinoa salad. <laughs> so like, <laughs> and then she ordered it and took a bite and she like leaned over to me again. She was like, this is delicious. <laughs> So that's like the most celebrity time that I've gotten in the city. Um, I don't know. I feel like it wasn't something that I was immediately interested in talking to people about. More so, I was just like, lady, I'm trying to eat my lunch. Leave me the hell alone. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. She was a little misjudging when she thought you would be really excited to talk to the star of 10 Things I Hate About You. You're like That movie was 20 years ago. <laughs> when I was in high school, interestingly enough, the most popular girl in school was somebody who was friends with me outside of school. Like, we hung out when there weren't our schoolmates around. And she was like, you know, if you weren't like Julia Stiles and 10 Things I Hate About You all the time, maybe you'd have more friends. <laughs> and I was like, maybe. <laughs> She's living a good maybe life, I'd... though, before. It's true. One of the things I don't like about that movie. But this isn't a discussion of Ten Things I Hate About You. This is a discussion of Angel, the television series, uh, which I already mentioned. One thing I forgot to mention is I don't know whose turn it is to do the plot. You usually know. There you go. It's All me. Right, okay. Tell us what it's happens. It's because I, I write it down, yeah? so that's why I know when it's my turn. <laughs> if you can tell that there's sort of like a stilted reading quality I don't think me. it's stilted. I think it's nice. Okay. It, oh, well, thank you. You could get a job like reading stories to children. I think you could. I think you'd do a good job. <laughs> Aw, that's like the sweetest thing somebody said to me all day, although I haven't had <laughs> conversations with anyone yet today. So, thank you. <laughs> Better than so, what the voices in my head said to me. <laughs> <laughs> They're dicks. <laughs> I Mine certainly aren't nice most of the time, so. Oh, oh mental illness. Um... Speaking of mental illness, <laughs> we pick up from a pretty disturbing scene where we left off um, in the last episode. Um, now we are post-coitus in Angel's bedroom, and Angel is now Angel still. 
Darla is very miffed by the misleading events of their pre-nap activities, which (laughs) Angel recognizes as a favor. He says he'll do her a solid as well by letting her leave his apartment unkilled. Angel then pays uh, an ODing Kate a visit and miraculously revives her with some shower water. Mm -hmm. Um, After the review, Lindsay heads back home to find Darla to let her know that the orders are to stake her on sight. Darla is being despondent and cruel and subtly confesses what transpired between Angel and herself. Lindsay is very unimpressed. Uh, Meanwhile, Angel seeks guidance from Lorne, who recognizes both A, what happened between him and Darla, and B, that he's changed for the better. Lorne tells Angel um, that his friends were his connection to the higher powers, not him, and they probably won't survive the night, which sends Angel off on (laughs) hunt for them uh, to rescue them. Meanwhile, Cordy arrives at the Sharp household, Uh, looking for remuneration from the work that Angel Investigations did to de-three-oculate the family's little girl, if you remember from two episodes ago. She finds the whole family dead and encounters the three-eyed Skilosh demons who want revenge on her, Wes, and Gunn for killing their progeny. So Cordy is impregnated by a demon again. Uh, Angel saves Wes from one of the Skilosh in the nick of time, and they set off to find Cordy at the Sharps with gun in tow. On the way, uh, Angel hops out of the car to fight some Skilosh, and then a very angry, very scorned Lindsay. Wes and Gunn, meanwhile, get into the Sharps' house to save the day, but are intercepted by the baby crazy demons. Angel drives Lindsay's truck into the scene, literally, to save everything (laughs) except Cordelia's feelings. (laughs) Now Darla has abandoned Lindsay's condo, Angel has a heart-to-heart with Kate, and then heads to the new HQ to offer to work for the gang, rather than having them work for him, and to start to earn back their trust. They set off on another adventure when (laughs) Cordelia has a vision. Uh, what did you think of this episode, Ruben? Um, I'm going to do what you did uh, and sort of table my complaint a little bit and also say that uh, what I... I don't remember if we discussed it on or off podcast, the idea that some of my problems with this episode are answered in later episodes and do I give them credit for that or do I judge them for missing it the first time? I've come to a conclusion. I'm going to give him credit for it because that's how I feel like people should be. You should be supportive of the idea that they can learn and grow from mistakes they've made in the past. All right. And so this used to be my favorite episode probably of Angel. It's not quite that anymore. Um, but I'm going to say it's a very high B plus right, right on the verge of being an A minus. Maybe it's an A minus because, um, man... It's got a lot of great things to say, mm-hmm. really funny, and super well acted. So really, what more can you ask from an episode of television? What did you think, Karen? Um, I gave it an A-. <laughs> yeah. um, I think it's a super fun episode. It's 
nice to have a bit of levity and a bit of humor and a bit of lightness and hope after what has been a bit of a dark time. The, uh, as you had put it previously, like Angel just being Dark Knight-esque and like brooding and, well, at his most broodingest, mm-hmm. <laughs> if that's a word. So it's nice to sort of see the tables turn a little bit and things um, getting into more of a positive territory and um, a funny territory where there's, you know, there's still... Um, there are still themes carried over from the previous episode. It is sort of like a, a contrast, however, as well as a continuation, um, which is really nice. So I think uh, all in all, it's a, it's a pretty good episode. Pretty solid. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, start with, I think, why it is so funny and light, and that is the acting. Um, for me, with one, I won't say notable, because I don't think she's significantly worse than everybody else, but uh, Charisma Carpenter doesn't quite hit the same levels for me as the rest of the crew is doing, but otherwise, across the board, all the, all the performances get A-pluses. Mm-hmm. this is the standout for me, again, but um, I can't remember his name. I also really love the actor who plays Lindsay. Uh, mm-hmm. I think this is probably Darla's best, Julie Benz's best performance so far. Um, and uh, just Angel's consistent excitement to tell people about how his life has changed and Wesley and Gunn's just complete indifference mm-hmm. <laughs> to him trying to reconnect with them is very funny and very relatable. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the acting? <laughs> Look at me. I've changed. Everything is great, isn't it, guys? Meh. What are you doing here? <laughs> um, it's. Uh, <laughs> I never had this reaction, but I had a friend in college who would have a new epiphany on average per week, sometimes multiple epiphanies per day. And each time he came up to me to tell me about his epiphany, he was so excited. And I didn't have this reaction, but, you know, after, like, the fifth or sixth epiphany that someone has had, it's like, I can't meet match your level. I'm, like, amazed that this is just doesn't really have everything to do with the story, uh, this episode, but I just think it's a funny story that, like, this is a very, like, if Angel is supposed to be in this period of his life, and, you know, even though he's, whatever, 280 years old, like... In a human life, he's more comparatively, like, uh, post-college, has his first job, like, that sort of, like, mid-twenties, <laughs> late-twenties, like, still trying to figure things out type of place in his life. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. it definitely fits and resonates with, you know, how my friend felt and how I occasionally felt, too, where I was like, oh, I'm an entirely new person. <laughs> My whole perspective has just changed completely for the better, and I'm going to do everything differently. My whole life is so much more interesting, and I'm, like, amazing. Yeah, All it's... of the things are an opportunity. <laughs> everything is going to come. It's okay that not everything works out just, like, in some times, but we can get beyond it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty great. I, I currently have a friend who's going through a lot of that sort of re-epiphany. <laughs> 
knee-izing every other day, and it's, uh, it must be exhausting. <laughs> yeah, there's, um, when I watched this show the first or second or even third time, this particular episode, you know, the way that will always resonate for me is like, Angel is right, and that's the place that I need to be. And now it's more like, Angel is right, and the show also recognizes that, you know, he's being over the top and silly. <laughs> that, you know, in the past, um, like, even though I found it funny, I was never, like, really on Wesley and Gunside. I was like, oh, you know, they should really listen to him. Like, he's totally changed. And I think one of the things that makes this a show that is growing with me, like that ages with me, as opposed to just like, I loved it in my 20s and now I hate it in my 30s, is that mm -hmm. um, I'm like, yeah, I've now gotten to the point where I have hurt other people or other people have hurt me in such a way that like, I understand that <laughs> you can't just like flip a switch back on and that, like, life, like, you don't, like, just wake up one day and are like, I'm not depressed anymore! <laughs> and then, like, do all your homework on time and, you know, do all the errands that you have to do and whatnot. That, like, Angel is an exaggeration and he has a lot of things right. You know, he admits that he doesn't have everything down at the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. And he's also kind of annoying. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like... A little bit. <laughs> I don't know. A little bit I, tough to deal with. I think all of that stuff is in there, and I think a lot of that is captured, you know, not just by the writing, but by the performance, by the qualities mm -hmm. that the actors are bringing to this. Um, I really like each sort of individual response from the gang, you know, to his epiphany. Like, Wesley's is very measured, but also very, like, um, you know, logical. He's like... I don't like Angel right now. I don't know if I'm going to like Angel again, but if he's going to show up and help and not be an interference, I recognize, you know, the value that he brings. So I'm not going to just be nice to him, but if he wants me to, like, tell him what the Skiwash demon are like, I'll give him a long explanation from a book, and he can drive us there and help us, you know, defeat the Skiwash. And then, you know, mm -hmm. Gunn is like a little more traditionally masculine response where he like has to challenge Angel at like every single point. Like he doesn't respond to the things that Angel says to him. Sometimes he just talks mm -hmm. to Wesley like Angel isn't even there. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes he's like, you know, a little more like physical about it. He's like, oh, you had an epiphany. He's like, well, what if I had an epiphany? What if you see one of those lawyers and you have another different epiphany? Uh and, mm -hmm. and then, of course, Cordelia, I think, is the one that I identify with the most and probably the most sound and my favorite part of her performance in the episode is when he's like, are you okay? And she's like, no, you really hurt my feelings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, I think that, um, as you said, like in terms of the acting, everybody did a really good job. As you say, Charisma Carpenter maybe didn't as much have like the same... Um, uh, level of performance in terms of just like how high the stakes were um, yeah. given everybody else's but I would say that the writing for her at least kind of made up for it a little bit 
like it was forgivable in a way. Well, it's like, um, it's a weird bit of tonality. I don't know, like, um, how many actors could actually get it. But, like, there's a part in the episode where you're supposed to believe that she believes that Wesley and Gunn are dead, even if it's only for a second. Mm-hmm. And her reaction is like, oh, oh, no, that's terrible. And I'm like... Mm-hmm. She's not playing it 100% like devastated because this is a funny episode and she doesn't mm-hmm. want to bring us down as an actress. And I'm like, that's a really difficult tightrope mm-hmm. to walk. So I don't like 100% blame her in that instance as opposed to when she actually gets to be with Angel, I think she's very, very good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The parts where she struggles is mostly with talking to demons. <laughs> Which is hard because there's nothing to really play against, right? Like, it's like you have these, like, really weird, stifled, like, imaginary characters that you would never encounter in real life. And if you're trying to draw on, like, some sort of experience or, like, somebody else giving you something that you can respond to and feed back on, um, I imagine it becomes a lot more difficult when it's, like, you know, these, like, ski lodge monsters and, like, crazy masks with, like, you know, over-the-top ridiculous demon voices she has Uh, one line delivery in that section though that i really like which is when she realizes that they're saying that you know some more of them have died not wesley and gun and she's like oh that's great i mean oh that's so bad for you (laughs) (laughs) she thinks that yeah wesley and gun have died and then it's like oh wait it's yay no wait (laughs) whoops i should not be the person who doesn't support you at this point. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's neat too. I love the vision that she gets. Oh yeah, like the, that the, was helpful. One of my small notes, but I'm so glad that that joke exists because it's honestly something that as soon as they introduce the concept of visions that I think about, because it's like you know stuff is always going down all the time. Like how do they choose which visions are they going to send slash like. You know, they're on a higher plane. Are they even able to, like, temporally know? Like, do they ever accidentally send a vision a month before it's relevant? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. Or, like, she gets a vision and it's in New York City and she's like, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, call up the Watchers Council and be like, hey, do you have anyone in New York City who bites demons? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's a good little gag. I don't know if I ever thought about it that much in depth. <laughs> like, about exactly how the visions are, like, dispersed yeah. and to whom and when. But um, it, was, it was really cute um, to, to sort of have that moment there. I'm imagining, like, a low-level vision center worker. Like, you know, someone who's just getting paid minimum wage. Not, like, the vision manager. It's just, like, sitting there. You're like the desk or something and then like they're looking at the clock and like looking at the chart that says when they're supposed to send the vision and they're like oh shit <laughs> like press the button <laughs> and they're like i got it in before 12 it had to be in by 12 i sent it 11 59 <laughs> that's perfect <laughs> anyways but the vision manager would still make that, that mistake, like, once <laughs> yeah. a year. You know what I mean? It's not just the low-level employee. Yeah. It's like, somebody's going to fuck that up. Yeah, that was too human a uh, metaphorical description of it. You know, I'm imagining higher beings and lower beings. The yes, people yes. who do the actual labor in 
the real world are the people who know what they're doing and the managers have no idea how to actually do a thing. Totally. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you have anything That's why else? they make the big bugs. bucks. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I'd probably work harder to be a manager if I could make the big bugs. <laughs> if I just had an <laughs> army of bugs that I controlled. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to say about the acting? Nope. All good. All right. So we can move on, probably, to my second favorite performance of this episode, which is Lindsay. Um, and another thing where my opinion has shifted with age, I was definitely more like, uh, you know, Lindsay is gross and he's obsessed, but, like, I still understand where he's coming from, you know, like, the girl that he liked really has basically admitted very strongly that she likes someone else. And I'm like, I totally understand this. And now I just find him and his performance so goofy and so hilarious. I love the fact that he has fighting clothes. Like, that that's the first thing he does when he realizes <laughs> that he's going to challenge Angel is go get his fighting boots. He's like, got to get these cowboy boots. <laughs> so I can fight. I'm like, it's so performative and so beautiful. I don't know. How did you feel about Lindsay? <laughs> he's over the top. He's an over the top, like... 17 year old (laughs) essentially who's just like i mean he doesn't care that darla gives zero (coughs) f's about him whatsoever like she does she obviously doesn't care she's obviously kind of like just like goading him a little (coughs) bit like just trying to make his life a little bit tougher and like he's been like taking care of her quote unquote for the past little while and she has like zero appreciation he's like he's one of those people who's like a 17 year old like high school dude who's like got so many feelings that are all self-centered and he will like go and stand next to the girl that he has a crush on for like three months just hoping that something will happen And then it doesn't, and she, like, inevitably is interested in somebody else, and it just destroys him, and then he decides, like, I don't deserve this, I'm going to be really shitty about it to you. Like, it's just, like, it's so ridiculous. I've never been insulted so accurately in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but that's that's a thing, right? Like that's a thing that happens to people where they like oh, anyway, and it's just it's so entitled and so ridiculous. Like I want to know everything. One <laughs> <laughs> of my favorite Tell me parts every detail about that scene is how he very not subtly um, the writer subtly, not him subtly, works into the conversation right at the beginning that her bad news could potentially advance their relationship. He's like, the firm's after you now. They want to stay on site. You're going to have to move into the bedroom. Yes. <laughs> You'll be more safe there. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I can't believe no. I never noticed that before, that he was like... I know you're really upset, so we should have more sex. <laughs> That's the solution. And I was like, oh, Lindsay. Under the, under the guise of yeah. you'll be safer. Yeah. <laughs> it's like such a 
thin premise for somebody to like move into your bedroom from the living room like come on it's like there's literally 10 feet between the two spaces yeah if she wanted to Uh, live in the bedroom she already would be oh absolutely (laughs) she would just she wouldn't even have to ask it would just be like obvious that she'd be in there and he'd be sleeping on the couch anyhow Oh, poor, poor Lindsay. Like, do I feel bad for him? I, I don't feel bad for him. But like, at the same time, I can understand how brutal it must be for that character to be going through all of this. Um, I mean, yeah, I used to feel bad for the idea of being like, oh, someone you like doesn't like you back. And I would empathize with people who had that feeling almost regardless of situation, because I've so often found myself in that situation for similar reasons to what you stated. I wouldn't tell people that I like them. How could they know? <laughs> but um, I, the only way in which I feel bad for him now is that, you know, he, I feel bad that he has gotten himself into this situation in a way that, like, mm-hmm. he hasn't responded to Darla not liking him by saying to her, so you're gonna have to leave because I like you and you don't like me and you're just making me feel bad <laughs> and it's not my job to take care of you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's, you know, it's uh, a stew of his own making. He's the one who's jumped into the pot and turned on the heat. he just he he's letting himself be used and i mean it's like maybe you could argue it's because of like some degree of lack of self-respect but at the same time it's sort of like i think it's more of the entitlement like he's like this is going to work out in my favor oh for sure at some point so i'm going to keep holding on to it um, I would have yeah. more empathy if it was completely based and on, like, just... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, he just, you know, he had a very rough upbringing or whatever, and then it's obviously been enormously financially successful, and so he's definitely, I think, gotten the understanding that, you know, people are the same thing as education or good jobs. Like, I can just mm-hmm. work the problem and get what I want, mm-hmm. <laughs> as long as I stay yeah, cool. Exactly. Is, and by cool, I mean freaking out for, like, well, yeah, ten minutes. This, this is why he can't stay cool. Because it's the thing that he actually cares about. And, like, well, like on some level he does not care about Wolfram mm-hmm. and Hart, which is why he's successful there. It's weird. <laughs> oh, Lindsay. What a mess. What a mess you've gotten yourself into. <laughs> Um, I have a, a minor question, and he, on this rewatch, I didn't feel it as strongly as I felt it other times, but <clears throat> something that I've always, like, a little bit thought, even if it's not at all explicit, is that Angel lets Lindsay beat him up for a while because he, he empathizes, because as soon as the fight turns, Angel takes him in, like, one second. Yeah. Like, I think Lindsay gets the drop on him, and, you know... The first couple hits, uh, Angel is genuinely taken aback by. But I think he lets him go on for like a little while to like let him work it out. He's like, eh, I had an epiphany. I'll let it, I'll be punching back for a second. Okay, we're done with that now. Hand smash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
But it's just so funny because, like, you're right. It is, he does probably understand exactly what's going on. Like, oh, I know what it's like to have my heart shattered. (laughs) And guess I'll just kind of deal with this because, you know, I would have wanted to feel like I was in control after having my heart broken on one of many occasions. (laughs) Anyway. Um, And I really... uh, just to the final note on Lindsay's performance, when Angel smashes his hand and he looks at his broken hand, even though it's just a piece of plastic, the way that he looks at it with like such sadness, like, you know, I really landed for me. I was like, oh, his exterior is actually being broken in a way over the course of this episode, like his cool guy, cowboy boots, Oklahoma thing. He's like... No one really cares. <laughs> yeah. And Boranis' yeah. delivery of the wine is so perfect. <laughs> he goes, just be glad it wasn't the other hand. <laughs> or just be glad I had an epiphany. Otherwise it would have been the other hand. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, it was a good little moment. So good. Um, you wanted to talk about existentialism, or I guess <laughs> what Angel's epiphany means in more philosophical terms. I think it's interesting that this whole episode basically is about Angel getting to this point where he realizes that even though there's no defeating evil, which we sort of touched on in the last episode, that the only thing that he can do is really um, do the good that he can to make the choice essentially to help because it's better than to hurt. Um, which I think is a really deep <laughs> kind of um, motif, I guess, for the show to have. And I think this carries through through the rest of the, the series as well, where it's like uh, the line in the episode is, if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. And essentially, like, the entire plot <laughs> moving forward is that the whole gang is taking a stand and just trying to be as much of a help as they can um, to kind of counteract that, that negativity. So um, I, I, I am impressed with the depth and sort of the themes um, that were written into this episode about, about that kind of um, decision to take on uh that darkness and and move past it and do whatever they can, even though maybe nobody else really is, um, in order to just be <laughs> be true to what their goal is. Um, yeah, that's really that's really the sentiment of it all. <laughs> but this is a very superficial and thin comparison, but it's actually very similar to a lot of the things that Martin Luther King Jr. wrote in his final works about social justice work and like the idea of doing the work and knowing that um at best things probably aren't going to change for you like um like at best things change for future generations uh, Mm -hmm. uh, and you won't get to see any of the progress that you helped set into action and that's that's best you know at worst what you do doesn't change anything. Um, mm-hmm. And he writes about, you know, 
how hard that part of his life was for him as compared to the more well-known civil rights movement when the things that he was doing were having immediate changes when he went from being like, okay, we need to change the laws so that, uh, you know, black citizens of America are no longer legally allowed to be discriminated against. And then the laws changed and he was like, oh, if everyone is still discriminatory, nothing has actually changed. Uh And he's like, (laughs) and he realized that changing society has a much bigger task than changing Uh the laws, Um, changing Uh the entire social structure. And he became, you know, a socialist and was fighting for you know, against poverty and recognizing the power and balance there and just um, those ideas, even if they're, you know, much thinner here and Angel is doing them in a very fantastical, like, over-the-top manner, you know, stabbing things, they're evil. Um, (laughs) The ideas and the idea that someone could put those ideas in a show that's this ridiculous on one level is, to me, the reason why I keep coming back to these shows and liking them. The, that they have something that meaningful and powerful to say about the possibility of doing good work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doing something that matters so that it continues to matter. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, it's very smart and, uh, and a pretty awesome trajectory and, and stand to sort of take in this, as you say, uh, fantastic world. Um, I really like Boreanaz's delivery of the line. I don't think people should suffer and as yet they do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a real simple way of putting it, but it's real nice. And he says it in a real meaningful way. Like, he hits it just enough where it's like, yeah, I really believe that he cares about suffering. <clears throat> Anything else to say about that? Yeah, I'm all good. Ready to move on, on your end? to the opening to scene? On. <laughs> oh, actually, you know what? Something that I didn't mention earlier, but something that I just want to say mm-hmm. um, about Kate. Um, I I am disappointed that she was so um, blasé about her uh, suicide attempt. Yeah. I, th- I think that that's, like, really brutal. That she was not headed toward another uh, quote-unquote pillathon. Oh, yeah. It's like... <laughs> It's pretty brutal. It's a bad line. Um, it's a really bad line. Like, I think the writing was just very ham-fisted and insensitive. Um, she plays two different characters in a way in this episode, and I think mm-hmm. both of them are really good, but they're not connected. Like, I don't exactly believe, you know, they're trying to get Kate out the door in a way mm-hmm. because she doesn't work as a character. But, like, her line earlier in the episode when she's looking at the mirror... And she's alive, and she's like, thanks, now get out of here. I was like, oh, man, that really hit me. And then later, at the end of the episode, when she's like, I don't know what I believe, but I have faith 
and something. And Angel goes, why? And she goes, because I never invited you in. And I was like, oh, that line really hit me too. But those are two totally different people. And I don't know how you get from one to the other in the space of a couple days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, they there's a lot get, that's inconsistent. You know, they wanted to get Kate out of here, so they're like, it, a lot had to be resolved in a mm-hmm. short amount of time. And like, which is, I can believe that both of those people, based on what I know of Kate from one season, both of those people could be Kate. But I can't believe that both of those people can be Kate three days after each other. <laughs> she hasn't had yeah. an epiphany. <laughs> no. <laughs> Nope. I wish her all the best, however. Yeah. On Law, Law & Order or whatever <laughs> show the actress ended up going to next. <laughs> okay, so yeah, the opening scene... And Kate the character as yeah. well. <laughs> Sorry, go on. The opening scene I hope she does has well in LA. some of the issues that we talked about, obviously, as the closing scene from last episode, though not as strongly... And I do think that a f- uh, in season three, um, Cordelia is going to point out, maybe not as strongly as I, was, I would like, that what Angel has done is another bad thing, even if it's gotten him to a good place, which is he's used another person in order to feel better about himself. I understand that wasn't his intention going into it, but um, I really love this tweet by Twitterer at Pet Furniture that's uh, a woman is not a soft bed for you to lie on until you feel better. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, I understand that they're mimicking um, the episode, I think it's called Innocence where uh, Buffy and Angel has sex and then he loses his soul and you like see him in like pain like crawling out into the alleyway or whatever in the rain and that they're just mimicking that in this episode. But if I woke up from having sex with somebody and they were acting like they were in pain because they were so upset about having slept with me, I would push that fucker off the balcony. (laughs) Go have your epiphany in front of somebody else. (laughs) I don't want you apologizing to me. (laughs) I I don't want to see you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that scene definitely used to land, like, straight for me. And now I'm like, you know, I understand that Dara was an evil vampire, but she is absolutely the one who I have sympathy with in this scene. And the fact that they play her uh, being upset, at least in this scene, off for jokes, makes me really upset. <laughs> Classic. The sex yeah. wasn't good jokes. <laughs> yeah. It was uh it was not the best intro to the uh to the episode um to make that situation sort of like about making Darla into the uh bad guy <laughs> rather than the victim um in this situation, but in any case. Yeah, it's like someone still sort of somewhere understands like a little bit that she would be hurt, but instead of like being like, oh, she's hurt because this is a really cruel thing to do to someone, even if 
you know, it wasn't Angel's intention. Uh, mm-hmm. The way that they hand wave away her potential victimhood is, A, she's a vampire, so who cares, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and B, being like, uh, she's concerned about her performance. <laughs> she's like, that was good. I was a professional. I'm 400 years old. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's not what anyone would be upset about. In this situation, is whether or not the sex was good enough. No. No, it would be the being used. (laughs) Essentially. Um, One, the one nice. Mm -hmm. Sorry, you go first. I I was just going to say that um, there's a really creepy line that she gives before she realizes what happened and she realizes that Angel (coughs) is still Angel and not Angelus. Um, when he's, you know, like, suffering outside on the balcony for a few minutes. And she says this line that I just, it it leaves such a bad taste in my mouth. The writing was not on point here either, which was, um, just let it happen. It'll only hurt for a minute. And it's just like, because like the the parallel, you know what I mean? With, absolutely, um, yeah, with sex and potentially like you know taking something from somebody um in that context or hurting somebody physically in that context is just like so eerily creepy and gross and it really bugged me like to the point that I couldn't like focus the first three times that I tried to watch that first scene like I had to go back a fourth time and just like try to get past it yeah like if they included the first part i think or most of this first scene in the last episode <laughs> uh that episode would be lower and this episode would be a for sure eight minus for me yeah. and yeah that i think also like you know what you said that there's similar misunderstanding of how certain things will come off that like i'm frustrated that Cordelia is the only one who gets the, like, gross, penetrative scene done to her. Yeah. They're like, yeah. oh, it's okay to do it to Cordelia. And yeah. I'm like, mm. I didn't want to see this scene to begin with, and you didn't need to show it. It's weird no. that you choose to show it. But then the fact that it doesn't happen to Gunn or Wesley either feels, like, very subconsciously pointed. Yeah. <laughs> No, absolutely. It's it was a miss for sure. And it just it starts to feel a little bit too, like after twice in one season that Cordelia ends up being essentially like penetrated and impregnated by a demon. It's like, oh, is this is this just what happens because she's a chick? Like mm-hmm. this is what's going to be befall her. Um, and she's just going to be, like, for lack of a better word, like, yeah, like, demon-raped, like, continuously. So, it's, uh, yeah, it's really upsetting that there were a couple of really tone-deaf, really bad choices that were made, um, in terms of language, in terms of, like, yeah, just writing for the, uh, women in this episode. And, uh, now post- Kai Cole letter at world. I like to put all that stuff on Just Whedon, especially considering how his relationship with Charisma Carpenter went over the course of um, 
the six, seven seasons of television that they worked together. Uh. <laughs> I don't know anything about their relationship over that amount of time, to be honest. Um, I mean, the main thing is that apparently when she got pregnant, he was very upset about it and about having to write it into the show and then eventually pushed her off the show because of it. Wow. <laughs> cool move. Yeah. <laughs> um, small notes, moving it back to the more enjoyable parts of this episode. Some things that I like. I like the fact that we don't see Angel uh, do CPR because we already know he's got no breath. So that's a nice uh, <laughs> continuity mm -hmm. thing. And... Um, uh, we already mentioned this before, but, you know, we're going to underline again that uh, the host uh, flirts with everybody. So mm -hmm. he's either a very flirty person or possibly on the on the queer spectrum. Then at least, leather pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no, he's on the spectrum faux show. <laughs> he's got very fancy hair. Um, uh, you are, I think you already, I don't remember if you mentioned it on or off podcast, but, uh, Wesley either putting his shotgun up, uh, on a shelf where he can't reach it <laughs> while he's confined to a wheelchair or not moving it after he was confined to a wheelchair in case of need. Uh, that was, that like, was off podcast. Yeah. <laughs> seems like. Yeah. He would have thought about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, the part when uh Angel uh when Wesley is telling the story about um uh saving the little girl for like a day, sadly, before she gets killed and he's like we at Angel investigations blah 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 blah, blah. and Angel's like, "Oh." And he's like, "Yes." And he's like, you "Kept the name." <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> it's a nice tip off that like yeah, Angel's had an important moment in his life, and he's going to grow and become a better vampire person after this. But he's also still a little bit self-interested. Like, yeah, of course. Not, he hasn't switched from, you know, yeah. And um, I guess sort of like in general, though we'll probably talk about this more in the next episode, just like the idea of his um, potential redemptive cycle atonement is come at from such a different angle from... Uh, what we've seen in a litany of celebrity <laughs> atonements over the past two to three years, um, he very much comes in from angle where I buy it. Like he's very small with it. Like the very first thing he does is he apologizes. He's just like, I'm sorry. And he doesn't say like, I'm sorry, I hurt your feelings. Or yeah. I'm sorry, you were upset by the choices that I made or anything like that. He just says that he's sorry. He's just like, I know that I hurt you. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have done those things. And then the next thing he does is he, like, you know, lowers himself. He's like, I know that part of the reason why I acted badly was my ego. And because I know that, I want to show you that I'm not as egotistical as I used to be. I want to work for you. Mm -hmm. And then we also get Cordelia being like, no. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Which is nice, too, because 
even if someone is doing everything right, that doesn't mean you have to let them back into your life. They can go make new friends <laughs> or new relationship partners <laughs> once they've worked on themselves. And I like the fact that even though we know that, of course, the group is going to come back together, the, the space that's made for that response to be like, I don't care how much you want forgiveness. I don't want to be around you anymore. <laughs> so I think that's cool. It's not about you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good. I think that's really cool. And it's, um, you know, I don't think that this situation is exactly the same, but that's how I kind of always feel about abusive relationships when someone is like, oh, but we still love each other. We should work things out. I always want to be like, no, you can go find another person, work on yourself for a while. I believe in your redemptive powers to become a full human at some point, again, down the line, but not with that person. That relationship has, you know, reached a point of no return once it reaches abusive levels. Yeah. That's personally how yeah. I feel. When I don't feel like the person should just be thrown into a blender and trashed, because they're terrible. <laughs> But if I do still have that tiny sliver of hope for them, <laughs> then. Yeah. Work on yourself. And then, I don't know, I feel like there is a possibility of coming back to a former relationship after enough time and space to have a, a fresh start if somebody has legitimately, like, rehabilitated. But Sure. I believe that it's possible, but my just feeling about it is that you have so much entrenched issues with going back to that relationship. And there's so many other people out there that you can be friends or lovers with. Why, mm -hmm. why is it so... It seems like you're playing into your own uh, potential obsession <laughs> by going back to the situation that has been so marred. Like... <laughs> But it doesn't necessarily have to be the same situation. Like sure. I'm playing devil's advocate. I don't. I don't necessarily disagree with you. Um, but I think that there is a potential. Like let's say you know, 15 years down the line, you cross paths randomly, end up like sharing as stories about what you've been up to and how you've, I don't know, like things you're now interested in and stuff that you. <coughs> you know, moved away from and you, yeah. like a spark is rekindled. I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily. Um, I think you're right there. I think I was thinking about negative. someone going back to someone. So uh, already in your situation, you were saying that's not what happened. It was just they sort of semi-randomly met and they started talking right. and it turned out that the thing that made the relationship good once upon a time was still there. I could buy that. Mm -hmm. But if you, like, finish working on yourself after five years of therapy and you're like, all right, now I'm ready to start things up again. Yeah. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> uh, Not so good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this marks the final appearance of Elizabeth Rome. She left the show to join the cast of the NBC drama Law & Order. Oh, I was right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um... I hate that it's played for laughs, but apparently the Darla line, Was I Not Good, is an echo of Buffy's dismay and innocence when Angelus is extremely mean to her the next morning. Yeah. Um, hmm. 
talks about how long Angel is an employee of Angel Investigations before he becomes the boss again. Lindsay McDonald is shown driving an old pickup truck with an Oklahoma license plate. In real life, actor Christian Kane, who plays Lindsay, drove to Hollywood, California in an old pickup truck from his home in Oklahoma. <laughs> when the character of Lindsay temporarily leaves the show, he drove away in the same truck. <laughs> I was wondering about that truck and that license plate. It didn't make sense to me, but I guess that that's the subtle nod. Yeah. Working in some real life to these mm -hmm. characters so that they can tap into that. Yeah. Tap into that truck driving. Yeah. Uh, As a Wolfram and Hart employee. <laughs> As a fellow Oklahoman. I reckon, no, I don't. I was in Oklahoma until I was less than five years old. I don't remember what it was like at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> Lauren mentioned Zuzu's petals. Kind of comes out of nowhere. I don't know why he mentions it, but that's, of course, a reference to It's a Wonderful Life. And in German, this was called, uh, I don't, it's basically epiphany. I don't know how you would say it in German. Uh, and in French, it's uh, retour à l'ordre, which means return to order. That's it. Sweet. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If so, Subscribe using your podcast listening application and give us a five-star rating review on iTunes. Um, that's it for this episode, and uh, this podcast is the one good thing we ever did together, okay? The only good thing. You make sure to tell the world that. Bye. Bye.